0: Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash alam. That's hdfund.org slash Q-A-L-A-M to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the Ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Amin, Ya Rabbil Alameen.
1: assalamu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu from the podcast team at Qalam. We wanted to wish you a very blessed Ramadan. This month you can expect daily uploads that will include reflections, khatiras, and khutbas all from our new
0: campus, Alhamdulillah. If you benefit from this content, Please give generously at supportqolam.com. 100% of your donations goes towards the means of
1: providing accessible Islamic knowledge to people around the world. Jazakumullah khairan for listening. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillahi wa kafa. Wa ala ibadihin ladhin ashtafa khususan ala sayidi rasul wa khatim anbiya wa ala alihi laskiyya wa ashabihi amma ba'di. We were speaking of how each individual tries their best to establish their superiority over others when they interact in groups. Trying to prove a way that I am better than you. You're inferior. So when we enter into a room, it's common for two people to face each other. And arrogance prevents either of the two from initiating the salam, because you're so great in your own eyes that why should I be the first person to say salam? You are inferior to me. You come say salam first. Therefore, Rasulullah sallallahu taught us in a very beautiful hadith: al-badi'u ubis salam bariu min alkibr." The one that initiates salam is free of pride, because this is that individual's practical step towards embedding and manifesting their humbleness, their tawadu That I find no problem in saying salam to another person. Rasulullah wasallam was always the first to initiate salam. And his salam wasn't just a statement, it was an experience. The way the Prophet wasallam would look at people when giving them salam, the way he would smile at them, the way he would turn his, his undivided attention towards that individual He would commit with two hands when giving salam, making that person feel important. Now all these petty politics of, he didn't say salam first, I had to say salam first, all these things meant nothing. Because Nabi Wasallam knew at his heart who he was and what his relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was. These silly mind games that we play in reality are a testimony of how empty we are from within. How much we lack in ourselves, and how much confidence we still need to develop and build meaningful, real confidence. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala tells us, "Inna Atqakum." We shared Ibn Rumi's poem, the famous Abbasid poet. Um, he said, "La In Fakharta Bi That that if you take pride over forefathers of great lineage. Then you have spoken the truth. But look how corrupt and evil their progeny is, their offspring is. What have you done for yourself? What have you built of yourself? Now keep in mind, arrogance is something that is detested and openly disliked by the Quran and by the teachings of Rasulullah. ﷺ. Nabi ﷺ says, A person that shows up with even an atom's weight of Arrogance on the day of judgment will be deprived of paradise. So this is a disease that really has to be rooted out. There are some scenarios where boasting isn't a bad thing. For the most part, it's not a good thing, but there are scenarios where it isn't a bad thing. For example, right before uh, the battle, Abu Dujana radiallahu an one of the companions of Nabi he was handed the sword by the Prophet of Allah. The Prophet gave him his own sword, and said, you know, take this sword and fight with its honor. So Abu Dujan ﷺ, before the fight was walking in a way, and he was carrying himself in a way, that the Prophet said regarding his walk, and the way he was carrying himself, that this sort of walk is disliked by Allah, except for here. Because in the battlefield, you're not supposed to be humble. There's no place for tawadu in the battlefield. The battlefield is a place for you to be strong, stubborn and some way even use the word arrogant. But I'm not sure if the word arrogance properly applies because by definition as Nabi sallallahu taught us arrogance is to deny Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's involvement in what you're doing. But at the core, you should always remember that Allah is the one who gave you this, but that shouldn't take you away from being confident and shy and maybe even to a degree condescending to your opposition. Not disrespectful, but looking down that I am superior to you in this moment because I stand for greater ideals. And I'm willing to go as far as needed. This is not a moment of silence because being silent when someone is oppressing you or challenging you is not humbleness. Rather, it's being a coward. Therefore, Imam Shafi'i said, Man falam The one that is provoked and does not get angry in reality is a donkey. We find similar examples at the time of Hudaybiyah, when the treaty of Hudaybiyah was being signed between the Prophet ﷺ and the Quraysh, and there were negotiations back and forward. One of the Quraysh, he said something out of line. He was talking to the Prophet ﷺ, and he said something very foul, something that was hurtful. He said to the Prophet ﷺ, and I paraphrase, But you know all this that's going on here that you're you're signing a treaty with us and the Quraysh has now been humbled by coming into contract with another party. Quraysh doesn't agree to others. People agree to Quraysh. Right? The fact that we're having this, you feel really good of yourself right now, right? I want you to know that all these guys around you that are supporting you and enabling you, pointing at the Sahaba, will one day leave you and when they do you, watch what we do to you. They use language like this. Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq radiAllahu an was sitting there, and he lost it. Abu Bakr Siddiq radiAllahu anh, said a statement to him that is very rough, one that I won't repeat for this crowd on this mic right now. But he said a very rough statement, right? And the ulama they say that how did a man like Abu Bakr Siddiq radiAllahu an, who is referred to by the Prophet as Siddiq, who the Ummah accepts as being Siddiq, how could a man like him? you know, use impure words from that blessed tongue of his. How can that happen? So, the answer to this can be found in two claims, two statements made by independent scholars. One is, but they said the same thing. Fakhraddin al razi mentions this and also from the subcontinent from Sarhind. Mujaddid al Fathani, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, Shaykh Ahmad Sarhindi, Shaykh Ahmad Sarhindi, he also mentioned this point. And what they both mentioned, Shaykh Ahmad Sarhindi, he wrote in one of his letters to his students, he said, To do takabbur in front of a mutakabbir is sadaqah. That if someone's being arrogant, it's not time for you to bow down. It's not that time. It's time for you to step up. You have to step the antics up and let that person know that you can't come here and say foul things and walk away and expect us to stay silent. This is why Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa told the Sahaba, the Quraysh kept playing these mind games. The Muslims have gone weak because they've gone to Medina. The illness of Medina has made them very scrowny and they're fragile. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa told the sahaba in, uh, when they went for the Umratul qada in the following year, that when we go, he said to them, uncover your right shoulders to show them your strength. This is what we call ittiba' in tawaf. And the Nabi sallallahu told them, do Ramad in the first three rounds. Ramad is to almost like a medium march where you're swinging your shoulders and taking small steps and walking with speed to show them that we are not weak people. And even though this is why the hukum for Ramad and ittiba came in, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa wanted the Quraysh to see that Muslims are strong. They aren't weak people. If you provoke us, we are here. We're not going anywhere. Even later on, when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam performed his umrah of hajj, which is after the conquest of Makkah, and this threat of the Quraysh no longer existed. He still told the Sahaba to, to do ramal and itiba. So someone can argue, but if the cause doesn't remain, why does the ruling remain? Well, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told them to do it, to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That yesterday we had to walk like this to show the enemy, but today the enemy no longer exists, and we continue this thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He has given us strength. And we express that strength while worshipping Him, remembering that all of our strength means nothing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is the source of that that strength. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who gives it to us. So there are exceptions here, and this must be understood. But the general ruling is, arrogance is something that must be avoided. Not if a person questions that I identify that I have arrogance in myself. How do I approach this disease and what do I do to deal with it? Identifying arrogance first and foremost and accepting that you are obsessed with yourself and your own accomplishments, it is a massive accomplishment. That is a big gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because most people who keep talking about themselves will never come to the point that they accept that they are obsessed with their own accomplishments. They won't come to that. They don't have that ability. They're just so used to talking that they're not able to speak. Even when they sit in lectures or khatras, they're not listening to, to the content or the message. They're listening to what they can take and repeat when they're sitting with their friends. You know how I was talking about yesterday? An arrogant person loses their senses. That's what happens. Accepting this is a massive step accepting that the ujub exists, that a person is obsessed with themselves, and accepting that a person is arrogant, this is a big blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you are at that point, be thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and know that this is the beginning of Allah's fadl on you. Because without a diagnosis, or at least acceptance, there's no path forward. There is no path forward. Now the ulama speak of different steps that can be taken to deal with arrogance. The first thing they point out is, always be honest with yourself. Look, people will praise you in life. People will talk about how awesome you are, how amazing you are, that you're generous and you're amazing and your looks and your character is flawless and that you're a great public speaker, whatever it is. They'll talk good about you. <clears throat> but don't let those words take away from you what you know of yourself, your own reality. Our Sheikh once shared a story with us, which is quite funny at the beginning, but then when you reflect on the message, it hits home. He said that there was a man who was dying. And before he died, he left some wealth behind. So he told his children that I'm leaving behind this cow. Don't sell it unless you really have to. He died. Years passed by that cow became a liability. They had to invest so much on the cow and medicating it and feeding it, and it wasn't yielding milk or wasn't giving them anything back. Finally, the family agreed that we should go ahead and sell this cow. So the son took the cow to the market. He found a nice place where everyone can hear him from, a nice elevated place. He stood there and he said, everyone gather together, I'm selling a cow. Who will purchase this cow from me? And he started at some market rate bid. No one batted an eye towards him. No one even looked at this guy. In the evening he was going home, he was very sad. So there was a guy who was walking past. He said, I noticed that you were in the market all day and no one was paying attention to you. You looked very sad. It seems like you had a bad business day. How about this? Tomorrow we go into business together. I'll do the bidding for you. Whatever we make, 50% mine, 50% yours. Some solid and move right here. Right? I can make mammon jokes, by the way, because I'm a mammon. Right? So you can't. So he, the guy said, OK, go for it. I mean, if I can get any money out of this, I'm happy. The next day, they come to the market. They set up shop, make it look nice. When the market picks up, a lot of foot traffic, he gathers everyone together. This, new, this man who, who kind of joined the contract, he says, everyone, gather together. I have some very important news to share. He said, yes. Said so many years ago, the British ruled our lands. They occupied us. They colonized these cities that our forefathers built. And at the end of their stay, when our forefathers fought back and kicked them out, this guy's making up some random story, right? <laughs> <laughs> when they kicked them out, when they kicked them out, the our forefathers were honorable men, and they said that you British built railway systems in our country and offered us something, and we aren't. Ungrateful, so as a gift of gratitude and token, we would like to give you one of the greatest ple- uh, treasured uh, belongings of our land, and we will give you a cow. <laughs> That's very disrespectful, by the way, right? But anyway, so they, they, they sent the cow. He said, Well, they took this to their lands and they mated it with the royal bull, and there were a progeny, and then it trickled down, and this cow was from that lineage. Let's start the bids now at $5,000. 6000 7000 8000 people are dumb. You know, you can just put a name on anything and people will buy it. So the bids reached like 20000 And right when the deal's about to close, the original owner came forward and said, hey guys, you know what? We're not selling this cow anymore. <laughs> so his buddy says, hey, what are you doing? He said, well, I didn't know the cow was worth this much. <laughs> and our sheikh said... If you laugh at this man, learn to laugh at yourself. A few lies make you forget your own haqiqat, your own reality. Someone can come and say that you're a pious person and you know deep in your heart that you haven't prayed the hajj in days. With what face are you accepting this praise? <clears throat> People come and say to you that you're, a, that you're an amazing human being and that you're generous and you know deep and down in your heart who you actually are. You've grown up with you, you've lived with you, you sleep with you, you wake up with you. How can you forget your own reality so quick? Just on someone's words? Just because someone posted something about you, tagged you, took a picture with you? The reality is that each of us knows deep down in our heart what our worth is. And had it not been for the father of Allah, had our Rabb not been the most amazing satar, the one who conceals for us, Had he not been a sattar no one would dare even look at our faces. And that's the dead truth. This whole charade that we have going on, this puppet show that we're playing with people, in reality is the father of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we haven't been sunken into the ground. Never forget your own reality. Always remember your origins. Remember who you are and where you've come from. As long as you can remember who you are, Arrogance won't be able to make its way to you. But it's, when you, but it's when, you start for, when you start forgetting. This is why it's important that parents take their children back to the homelands that they were from, that this is our story. This is where it happened. It's important that you know that this is the house that I was born in, and this is the graveyard that your grandfather is buried in. Don't get fooled by the suburbs of America. Don't get fooled by the minivans and these two-car garage homes and these amazing schools that we have. Alhamdulillah, this is a father of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we have this. But you never forget your origin. There is another incident that they commonly share. As an example, the famous Sultan Mahmoud Ghaznawi, who, um, anyway, he was a famous Sultan from the subcontinent. Sultan Mahmoud Ghaznawi had a servant by the name of Iaz, And the relationship between these two is like a it's an example that's used in history. And they usually talk about loyalty, that Iaz was this nobody farmer who Mahmoud Ghaznawi, the Sultan, included into his entourage. He made him a a very close advisor. And the other advisors were very jealous because they had gone through Oxford and Harvard to make it next to Sultan Mahmoud Ghaznawi. The equivalent of, like, you know, they had to work their way through the ladder to be next to the Sultan. And this nobody, farmer, Dihati, Arabi, Pandu, dude is next to the Sultan. They weren't happy about this. So they were very jealous and they were always conspiring against him. But Iaz was very loyal. So they talk about, lo- be loyal like the loyalty of Iaz to Sultan Mahmud. So there's an incident that one day there was a, uh, a valuable necklace that was missing from the Sultan's palace the sultan became very angry and he put the palace into lockdown. No one leaves or moves until we find that necklace. People became very antsy, unrested. One person said to the sultan that I have suspicion that the one who stole your necklace is Iaz. The sultan said, you guys have been jealous for so long of this guy, let it go. He said, no, I have proof. What I've noticed over the last few weeks is that every afternoon, when people go to rest, he quietly leaves the palace, he goes far out of the city, and he has a property there with a house on it, he secretly goes in there and he has a cupboard, I've been spying on him, and he goes to his cupboard, opens it up, looks at something in there, smiles and closes the cupboard and comes back, it must be your necklace that he's taken, the Sultan became very angry. He immediately summoned Iaz and at the same time sent soldiers to go and raid the home. They raided the home and they brought the cupboard to the Sultan. Iaz is standing there. The Sultan said to Iaz, open it up. He said, no, I won't. He said, open it. He said, I won't. They smashed it open. <laughs> this is a Sultan, right? So they smashed it open. And when they looked inside, there were three garments and there, a head wrap, a very torn-up shirt, and a humble waist wrap. So the sultan said, what's this? He said to him, O sultan, living in this palace has been amazing. I've now come into treasures and luxuries that I could never dream of in this dunya. And it's very easy to take you and your blessings for granted. So every day I leave your palace and go back to this hut. And I open up this cupboard and I look at these clothes because these were the ones that I was wearing the day you added me to your group. This was my asr. This is who I was. And then when I come back to the palace, I'm grateful to you because this, what I have, is because of you. That was me. Never forget your Lord. (laughs) You were nothing. May Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala give us tawfiq to understand this. But these cures to kibar, we will continue to discuss them in the days to come inshallah. But for today let us reflect over this. May Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala open our minds and hearts and grant us true understanding. Ta'ala ala